wisdom we had before really isn't a lot of use to us. And I guess we can sort of think of Solomon in that sort of category there. But the next verse there says, uh, there are many devices in a man's heart, and uh, it refers to a plan, a method or trick with a particular aim. And we realise that. We live in the world. Those of us that have been uh, maybe a little bit older, had a bit of experience. We've come across a lots of sort of things that man can do. Maybe some of them things perhaps once we perhaps tried to do. But uh, God says there's many of those within a man's heart. And, of course, that's always the issue, isn't it? It's what's within the heart of a particular person. But the next verse says, Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And that's the word I was really looking at, nevertheless. So it seems to imply here that it uh, talks about a prime particle. Exactly what that is, I'm not that good on English, but it's a prime sort of a word in the sense that it, uh, it relates to adversative or continuative. Oops, I've lost my eye, but never mind. Um, yeah, so it's, it implies it's expressing opposition and it's a situation that's continuing or it's a duration. And I guess that's very true of our walk in the Lord, that uh, um, everything might be good in our natural life, perhaps. We've got lots of friends and we come along to the Lord and all of a sudden we find the opposition. It might be within the family, it might be with work, it might be with friends. We all of a sudden see a bit of a parting of the way. And uh, really, I suppose, our walk in the Lord, no matter how long we go on, there's always these challenges and we need to choose the never, the less. Never the more, it should be nevertheless. The other things that go before it, and there's lots of descriptions with that. Let's just go over to uh, Luke chapter 5. Well-known little passage there, but I think it it, uh, speaks of it well. And uh, this is a time that the Lord was with his disciples. We just pick it up in verse 3. They they were fishermen, Peter and them then. It says, verse 3, And he, this is Jesus, entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And uh, verse 5, And Simon answered and said unto him, Master... We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Now, here's a man, I assume, that's brought up in a family. His father was most probably the fisherman. I know, gee, I'm really falling to get it. Pits here, aren't I? Um, That, uh, yeah, he'd been brought up from a a little tacker, most probably. He helped clean the nets when they brought them in and those sorts of things. So there really shouldn't have been too much you could tell Peter about fishing. I mean, it was a livelihood. It wasn't a hobby. It was a livelihood, um, you know, depending on how well they were fed and, and what income they could bring through it. So here's the Lord giving that direction. But again, it says, it goes on to say, I've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And of course, as we just read there in Proverbs about taking good counsel and these sorts of things, and everything in, in Peter's natural mind and natural sense would have wanted to say, you know, you don't really know what you're talking about. I've done this all night, you know. I wasn't out there for five minutes. There's nothing out there. You know, and yet the Lord gives him this command and he has this wonderful, nevertheless, I'm going to put aside all that we've spoken about before, all the events of it, and I'm going to move 
because you said to do it, that's what we're going to do. Because I think most of us know the story that this huge catch of fish. But I think it brings a good example if we apply what the Lord directs us to. No matter what's preceded that particular instruction or direction, we, we disregard it no matter how much it seems to make sense to us or whatever, and we do what the Lord says, and we're always blessed in that. Um, go over to John 16. I'll just pick up my eye. Again, a well-known passage here to us, and start reading in verse 1. Jesus speaking, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will I do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? And of course, for all of us, um, you know, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're excited about it, and we want to tell everyone else. And we often make the mistake, we think everyone's going to be as excited about it as what we are, and all of a sudden we find that they're not. So the Lord's pre-warning his disciples here of, of what's going to occur. And of course it goes on, um, verse 6 there, but because, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. And of course they'd seen lots of exciting things. Um, they had this assurance that the Lord was there for them with an expectation of... Uh, you know, the kingdom of God coming forever sort of thing, all these sorts of things. And next minute, the Lord pulls the rug from under and says, well, actually, I'm going away. And, uh, of course, it's filled their hearts, as he said, he knew straight away. But verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Is it expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Lord says, nevertheless, I know that he knew before he even said it, obviously, that it was going to hurt them, that they would sorrow. But he said, well, you, you need to know the truth. You know, and of course, we, we just rejoice that uh, you know, in that comforter, the counsellor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby, and we could much probably add heaps more words to it, of all that's embraced in that Holy Spirit coming within us. And of course, the Lord understood exactly what was happening, but of course, for them at that particular time. So he was able to deal that out at the time, but of course, there came a time when Jesus then had to step up to the mark. So let's go back into Mark chapter 14. And uh, we'll start reading in uh, verse 34. So this is coming to the time where he's He's going to be crucified and beaten and all these things. In verse 34, And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So the very thing that he's talking about, that they would feel sorrow, because he's really copying it now, because he knows what's sort of coming. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. 
Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And uh, it was possible, I suppose, for that cup to go, but where would we be today if, for whatever reasons, his father said, well, yeah, you know, this is tough and it wouldn't have been pleasant for the Heavenly Father either to be looking down on this particular situation. But, of course, they both knew the result, but he was the one going through it. And, uh, you know, if, he had, if that cup had been taken away, well, there wouldn't be a church. There wouldn't really be a salvation as we know it today. Uh, even back then, you know, shortly after he went crucified and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we've had nearly 2,000 years of people all over the world receiving all these wonderful things, the help and the comfort. And even when we come together, uh, like a time like here, and we have pray one for another, there's many, many needs. And, of course, we know through that Holy Spirit that dwells within us, all those attributes are available for those people. And praise the Lord, we rejoice in that as we hear the result of that prayer being upheld by the Lord. Um, where we go to now? Second Timothy. Uh, no, we won't. We'll go to Hebrews 12. I'm just going to read out of Second Timothy something that uh, Paul said here. And he was talking about again in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the wonderful benefits, and because he was exhorting and encouraging Timothy there about all the, all the wonderful promises and the power of God and these sorts of things. But of course, he related his situation. He went on to say, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And I. I think it's fair enough to say if the pastors put up their hand, they could all say there's certain things they've had to suffer because of their situation, because of their calling. And uh, Paul was pointing that out. But then he went on to say, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And, of course, whether we're a pastor or anyone else, we'll still have things come against us. We've really got to come back to that. We've got to acknowledge the things we go through. That's the reality of this life, and we don't want to discard those. But we've got to come back to, but nevertheless, I know who I've believed, who I'm persuaded with. But, of course, for all of us, now, no matter how long we're on this earth, we've got to keep that persuasion, isn't it? Because we're battered with all sorts of things, and uh, you know, things can get us at the best of times sometimes. But we've got to remain persuaded. And, of course, it's a wonderful part being able to come down to, to camp here uh, and, and be encouraged in, in this fellowship, one with the other. Okay, we go on to Hebrews 12. Um, just want to read. It talks about the Lord correcting it, well, what the Lord went through up there early in the early piece. But then uh, it talks about that he, he corrects us, whom he loves sort of thing. But I just want to pick up the verse 11. Um, and it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. And of course, uh, I remember a sister, I might have related it before, um, she had a, two or three children, I think, and she had one, as we all do, they're not all the same if you've got kids, she had one daughter that was particularly demanding and difficult, and she was having quite a difficulty with her and what to sort of do. And uh, another sister gave her this scripture and said, Look, you know, seek the Lord about it and try and apply it, and, and praise the Lord, she did. She took the direction there, and she was able to redirect her daughter and 
sort of get through these things. But of course, when you're doing that, I think for any parent, if you've got to do some correction or whatever it is, it's grievous. You don't want to tell your kids off, really, you know, but you realise it's necessary. But um, as I've said before, <laughs> I can remember being in the car sometimes with our kids and you know what kids can do in the back and they play up and I don't particularly like trying to drive when there's sort of too many distractions. You tell them once or twice, <laughs> maybe you've got, you've got to quickly stop and pull over and give them a whack. And then you get down the, the road a bit and it's beautiful and quiet and peaceful. everything's really, really good. Why well, didn't I do that 10 minutes ago? And all of a sudden, you, you, it's, it becomes uh, joyous because you've, you've done what needed to sort of happen there. Because as it says, nevertheless, afterward, there's a yield to it. And it's the fruit of righteousness. But not only that, it's peaceable. It's peaceable unto them who are exercised thereby. And, of course, we're all the same in the Lord, aren't we? No matter who we are, even the pastors sometimes, I'm sure, not only from the brethren perhaps, but sometimes there's a little kick from the Lord or whatever. We've got to learn to take it and, uh, because it's good for us. Not nice at the time, but we get down the track and uh, we learn from it. And we think, well, praise the Lord. The Lord was patient with me or my pastor was or whoever it was that perhaps has given a bit of correction to us and think, wow. I can, now I can see the benefit. I've learnt something from that. Hopefully I don't forget it and, and make the same sort of mistake perhaps further on. Um, okay. Let's go to Second Peter 3. I think we'll finish there. There's another one, for the sake of time, I wasn't going to turn to it. Nehemiah, most of us know the story there where Nehemiah was, had this great desire and obviously uh, urged from the Lord to go back to, to Jerusalem, which is just in ruins and everything else, and try and restore things. And we can relate that, I guess, in a sense to our own lives, what the Lord does. He restores and builds and all these sorts of things. And, of course, there was great opposition in that time, and he goes through all the things that they'd achieved and, and all the rubbishing they were getting from the enemy and everything else. And uh, they were planning to overthrow them when they weren't watching and all these sorts of things. And uh, Nehemiah made this great statement. In spite of all these things going on, he said, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, and we set a watch against them day and night because of them. Sometimes people will sort of say, you know, your situation comes in, well, let's have a prayer about it. Oh, all you want to do is pray about it, you know. Uh, what about a practical thing? And I think in this situation here, and of course it could have been life-threatening for them, um, they did the right thing. They sought the Lord first, but they did, just didn't sit back and, on a live ball and say, oh, well, the Lord will do it all. They still set a watch day and night against the enemy. And of course, once the enemy realised that they were awake up to him, they become very disheartened. And of course the Lord won through for them. But uh, there's always those challenges within our life. And here in... Uh, Second Peter 3, I think it might be there. Again, it goes through a whole lot of things, how to be mockers and scoffers and what we'd see in these last days. So there's a whole lot of aspects there. But we get down to verse 13, after all these things about the very elements melting with fervent heat and these sort of things and what we should be. And it says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, I think sometimes when you look at Lot, you know, how he said he'd vexed his righteous soul. 
and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit weak, I get, I get a bit annoyed and frustrated. So you turn the news on and you see, usually it's two or three cars stolen and I think there's been a policeman run over or something here recently or something. And if you're looking for righteousness, you ain't going to find it in this earth. And because what it's sort of saying there, wherein dwelleth righteousness? You know, when the Lord comes back and the new heavens and the new earth and we're with him, you can hunt all your life for unrighteousness. You're not going to find it there. You know, it's going to be a totally changed situation. No frustration with that. No vexation of your spirit and anything else. We're going to be with the Lord. But, of course, that's what we're encouraged to be, is where we've got to be looking, just as Jesus Christ who went through more than any man. You know, and what did it say there in, in uh, Hebrews 12 there about it? That for the joy that was set before him, he was able to amazingly look past what he was going through and was able to see you and I, however far he could see, all those sorts of things, and it enabled him you know, to say, nevertheless, I'm going through this, but I know what I'm going to achieve by it. You know, and praise the Lord, uh, what a time. Um, you know, I was just sort of thinking when the Lord says with the, with the disciples that he, won't, he, he desired to have uh, communion with them, but not until the heavenly realm. And I was sort of thinking about that. I don't know why I imagine. Maybe it's pictures they show of the, when he had the communion with the 12 disciples. It was a long table. I thought, well, that's not going to work, is it, when the Lord came? We need a huge round one or something. I don't know whether we'll be able to see everyone, but uh, praise the Lord. That's what the Lord's got for us. So regardless of what we're going, we just got to remember, nevertheless, the Lord's provided a way for us, and all the people said. And just to clarify that, I was trying to, I wasn't here early in camp, but it stood for, I love Karakalinga camp. And all the people said, amen. <laughs> it's great to be there.